we are in the Old Testament. So that is the part of the Bible that covers everything that happened before Jesus. In fact, we're in 1 Kings today. So that is 900 years before Jesus. We're during the reign of King David. That's only the second king Israel ever had. We've got David's family tree up here. So you want to know David was king of Israel and today is going to be his last day in the scripture we're studying. He's about to pass the kingdom on to his son Solomon. Now we have two other characters that are usually minor characters of the Bible, but today are very important to our story. One you'll want to know is Joab. Joab was David's nephew, Solomon's cousin, head of the military, and a guy with a real creepy anger problem. Joab killed the first two military commanders of Israel. He says it was a uh, military killing because he suspected them of rebellion. But it was outside of wartime. First one was Abner. He said they were at a dinner party together and Joab said, hey, Abner, come over here. I got, a, I got some news I need to tell you. Once he got him off in a quiet place, he knifed him in the stomach. Super creepy. Amasa was the next military commander and that was Joab's own cousin. And Amasa did participate in a rebellion, but I think things got patched over and the war was over. Joab killed him anyway. Uh, and then got his job. So it's also unclear did Joab do that because of the rebellion or because he wanted his job or both. But that's Joab. Next uh, character is Shammai. So during one of those rebellions, David and his little army detachment had to flee Jerusalem because there was a coup going on. And as they're marching, this guy named Shammai who lives on the outskirts comes down to the brow of a hill and as David passes by, starts shouting curses at David to the effect of, yeah, you get out of here and you got what you got coming. And um, Whatever it was is so bad the Bible doesn't say exactly what he said. But he picked up rocks and started throwing them at David and the army. Well, David actually wins that battle and reestablishes himself as king. So as he's coming back by... Shammai runs right down there to apologize because this is a bad scene now. But David forgives him that day. So this is all a twisted, intriguing mess. But uh, I think you know the characters well enough now to follow our passage today from 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son, Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and written laws in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the uh, promise he made to me. He told me, If your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne. If David had stopped right there, that would be a beautiful blessing. I'm going where everyone goes. Be a man, my son. Follow the laws of Moses. Remember the promise of God to our family. Unfortunately, he goes on to verse 5. And there's something else. You know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether? He pretended it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him whatever you think is best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. 
Be kind to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table. For they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shammai, son of Gera, the man from Baruam in Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to that place. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You're a wise man, and you'll know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. What a shady tale that is. That beautiful blessing, follow the Lord, remember his promise. Oh, by the way, I got two revenge killings I never got around to. I'd like you to take care of that after I'm gone. I heard our children's ministry staff a month ago say, we've got to restart children's ministry before he gets to this Bible shadiest tale sermon. (laughs) I heard Mickey say that outside my office. So there it is. I call this David's last kill and testament. What is the point of this story? It's this, do not take part in revenge. Now, some of you are probably asking, how do you get that from this passage? A beautiful blessing, follow the Lord, remember his promise, and and knock off these two people who did some shady stuff. How do you get do not take revenge as the application of that passage? I'm glad you asked. To to understand that, we're going to have a short lesson here on how to read the Old Testament. The first thing you want to know about the Bible as a whole, and particularly the Old Testament, is that it does not use instructions to tell a story. It uses story to give instructions. The Old Testament does not use instructions to tell a story. If you're looking for a verse in here that says, and David's revenge will was detestable to the Lord and he cursed their family, you won't find that line. And a lot of stories like this in the Bible, you won't find this line. Instead, it uses the story to give instruction. You're supposed to read to the end of the story and see how this turned out, and that will tell you how to live. Remember what the book of Kings is. Book of Kings answers questions like, how did we go from being Israel being the promised land to being a land that God punished and scattered in the exile? Started with things like this. It answers questions like, I thought God promised David his descendants would be on the throne forever. By the time 1 Kings is published and is being read, we don't have a king at all, much less one from the line of David. How'd that happen? It started with things like this. How did David go from being the chosen man after God's own heart and Solomon go from being the man given more wisdom than anybody in the land to having the shady end that both of them had? You can see it right here. And from that you learn, do not take part in revenge. It's the beginning of the end. It leads to the decline. Next thing you want to know about the Bible is that it never has a human hero. God is always the hero of every story. There are great things that God did through some of these men when they walked with him and women. But when they deviate from that, it goes bad, just like we're seeing here. God is always the hero of the scriptures. 
Everyone else is someone to look at to learn something about ourselves and how much we need God. If you can remember those two things, that the Bible uses stories to give instructions and that God is always the hero, you'll get a good way through the Bible with a lot less trouble. Now, the Bible's not silent on direct instruction about revenge. There's lots of passages that speak to it directly. Um, Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Jesus had words about revenge. He says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Do not take revenge. Give that person to the Lord for justice. Don't take justice into your own hands. Now that's Jesus and that's Paul. That's much later in history. David didn't have access to that. But he did have Moses, right? Didn't he tell his son Solomon, obey all the laws of Moses? Here's a law of Moses for you from Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In fact, David himself knew this better. Remember the story of Shammai who came down and cursed him and threw rocks at him? And then after David won the battle, came down and apologized. Here is that story from 2 Samuel chapter 19. Shammai fell down before him. My Lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible thing your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. I know how much I sinned. That is why I have come here today, the very first person in all Israel, to greet my Lord, the king. David's military commander is not buying it. Then Abishai, son of Zerai. Ooh, son of Zerai. That might be a relative of Joab. He says, Shammai should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. And David says back, who asked your opinion, you sons of Zerai? David exclaimed, why have you become my adversary today? This is not a day for execution, but a day for celebration. Today, I am once again king of Israel. Then he turned to Shammai. Then turning to Shammai, David vowed, your life will be spared. David knew not to take revenge a lot better when he was a younger man. His son Solomon knew it too. Once upon a time, Solomon wrote or gathered all kinds of proverbs like this. Proverbs 20, 22. Don't say I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. In Proverbs 24, 29. And don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. Their own God-given wisdom told them that this last kill in testament was the wrong thing to do. They've gotten off the path and the story of decline is beginning. Revenge never ends, you know, once you let it into your life. Once you start paying people back for how they treated you and what they did to you, it just escalates. Now some of you are saying, well, the Bible says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You know that's nearly the opposite of what that passage means? It's nearly the opposite of what that passage means. Because in ancient laws, 
that were written, you can find them in archaeology, they promised 10 times retribution. If you steal a loaf of bread, we'll cut off your hand. If you slay someone from this village, that village will slay 10 people from your village. In fact, that's still standard cultural practice in many parts of the world. It has a name, 10 times retribution. Those are some of the most violent places you can live on earth right now today. The Bible came with a new message. Okay, if you must seek justice, seek justice, but let it be only an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No more of this 10 times retribution constant escalation. It never ends. It destroys the world. The new kingdom will say justice must be proportionate. We've taken up that biblical value in our own laws here in the West. Don't we have a phrase that says the punishment must fit the crime? We got that from the Bible. We need this in our own life. If we're going to be part of the citizens of a new kingdom, we'll have to learn how to take revenge out of us and leave people to the Lord's justice so we can stop this constant escalation of hate, division, and violence. It starts with us. And by example, then we share that message with others. As they see, why didn't you respond to that? I'm a member of a new kingdom. It's got to stop somewhere. Mine's will be with me. How do we do that? We've got to bring to mind every day opportunities for revenge. Think about workplace revenge. When Ashley and I were much younger, uh, I was part of a very small staff that had a health care plan that was mm, okay, but pretty bad when you went to have a baby. You had to pay a bunch out of pocket. Well, Ashley was pregnant. So I asked this small staff, could we do something with this health care plan so that we don't have to pay so much out of pocket to have a baby? The guy in the office next to me sneered at me and he said, I'm not going to pay more every month because you decided to have a kid. That was your choice. Wasn't my choice. Okay. Fair enough. Next year, he was, his wife was pregnant. He says, this is unbelievable what you had to pay out of pocket. Can we do something about this? Everybody just kind of... I was so angry. And then it got a little worse. Some bleeding heart in the office... Sent an email around basically saying, well, since you're all so greedy and won't help a guy, want you all pony up and take something out of your own pocket and pay for that baby to be born. Oh, I'm so mad. Workplace revenge. It's opportunities come up all the time. I'll pay you back for what you did to me. Think about most custody uh, disputes you see between divorced folks. Aren't they just an exercise in revenge? Because you were unfaithful, because you were unsupported, because you were unloving. I'm going to limit your time with the children. Because you limit my time with the children, I'm not paying any child support. The kids are caught in the middle of all of that. While the parents try to exact revenge on one another. Every rocket hits the kids. Think about this one. Don't raise your hands. This is a rhetorical question. How many of you in your family, the siblings are still settling old scores for things that happened when you were teens and early 20s? You always got this and I never got that and you know. I have many lawyers tell me the reading of a will, just like David's will, sometimes will rip a family apart as they settle old scores. Sometimes the old scores are written right into the will, aren't they? 
election season, you're going to see all these posts, right? And you see one there, it's ignorant, it's stupid, it's dangerous. What do you do? Our gold standard here for community is that you pick up the phone. Because that's your brother or sister. You say, hey, I want to talk about this thing that I saw. It's, it's not accurate. It's harmful. It's hurtful. Whatever. Let's talk about that. Because no one wants to be corrected or shamed or called out in front of the whole world. If you're thinking, well, they posted it in front of the whole world, so they've got it coming. Isn't they've got it coming a very revenge-oriented thought? Can we do something different? Can we do something different this year? Follow the model of Jesus. I often think if Jesus was a Hollywood movie, it would have gone really differently, right? You know, after the Romans tortured and executed him and all his friends ran away and deserted him and Peter denied him three times, Peter, uh, Jesus in a Hollywood movie would rise up out of the tomb and he'd come out and he'd hold up his minigun and he'd say, I'm back. And then everyone would find out how wrong they'd been. But that's not what happened. He went to Peter, who denied him three times, and he forgave him three times. And he let Thomas touch the holes in his hands, and he gave his disciples a a new mission to share good news with the world, the Roman world. That same Roman culture that crucified him, and within 300 years, that whole culture is Christian. That's the power of laying down revenge. As powerful as revenge is to destroy the world, laying it to the side and taking up love is three times as powerful in the other direction. And didn't you and I at one point walk along a brow of a hill above Jesus and throw some curses and a couple of rocks? But we thought better of it later and we came back to Christ the King and we asked for forgiveness and he gave it to us. And all he asks us now is, give that to the next person who throws rocks at you. So if you've got your alarm or reminder app open, I encourage you to set an alarm or a reminder for, I don't know, after dinner, bedtime, and make it the name of the person you must be thinking of by now. Or maybe their initials, or maybe a word that will remind you of them. Maybe not the first word you thought of, maybe a a nicer word. And when that alarm goes off later today, say this prayer, Lord, I give this person up to your justice. They hurt me. They did wrong. I let go of my need to seek retribution. Now, if you're like me, a real grudge-oriented pity seeker, you'll probably need that alarm to go off every day for a week. Because I find I I turn people over to the Lord and then I kind of take them right back again. So every day for a week, I would need to say that prayer again. And then I would probably still need it every week for a few months. Just a reminder to pray, to turn that person over to God, to set yourself free, leave them in his justice. Be the beginning of the de-escalation. Take revenge out of your heart, replace it with love. Remember that story Chris told, where if we don't get this right, how it all ends. Our podcast editor may want to take Chris's story and drop it in about right here. 
So I wanted to share a little story with you guys from my week. I don't often do this, but this was, I don't know, it was really impactful for me. Um, we've, got, we've got some neighbors in our neighborhood, uh, an older um, couple, retired couple that I'd only talked to a few times. Um, they uh, were not in great health, so we're not out and about a lot, so it didn't afford us a lot of opportunities to do that. But um, the, the man uh, passed away this last weekend. He died, and um, on Tuesday, I think it was, um, his wife called me, and um, I've not really had a conversation with her before, but she proceeded over the course of almost an hour to just pour out her heart to me, and I knew that she was obviously grieving and I decided to just create as much space for her in that way as, as I could and I let her tell stories and tell all about you know how her husband had passed and um, then towards the end of the conversation it got around to what she called for and she asked if I would officiate his funeral she said, you know, there'll be people at the funeral that will expect something religious. And I know that you work for a church. And so I thought maybe you could, you could come and speak and I can tell you all about my husband and you can share some stories about him and his life. And I thought, oh, oh boy. I, I usually have a posture when it comes to funerals. And if people ask me to participate, my posture is usually, yes, what can I do? I'll do anything. You know, it's the most vulnerable time for people. And this is something I feel passionate about ministering to. But this one was uh, really something. When we wrapped up our conversation, uh, after she told a lot of her stories, I, I heard that, that you know, they have four kids, adult grown kids now, but four kids. Um, but they're not on speaking terms with three of them. Only one of them were they speaking with. And so we ended our conversation and she said, well, you know, I think I'm going to call your next door neighbor and see if he would um, be a pallbearer because we don't have enough pallbearers to carry the casket. And I was just struck by the fact that when it came down to it, was a legacy of broken relationships and she needed to call two neighbors that they hardly knew to officiate his funeral and to carry the casket. And I thought if we don't if we don't take care of our business folks if we don't keep our accounts short and if we don't love one another, if we don't give up our right to be right, then we're going to die alone. And I know that sounds gloom and doom and maybe not what you signed up for when you came here, but it was my experience this week and I was really struck by it. I was really moved by this is how it plays out that you reap what you sow. And if you sow a life of broken relationships and stubbornness. Then your spiritual legacy will be offered to your family by a funeral home director. And a neighbor whom you hardly know will carry your casket. I remember seven or eight years ago, 
when I made the conscious decision that every single time I saw my dad, I was going to give him a hug. We were not that close for a long time, and we had our issues. But I just decided, I decided every time I see him, I'm going to give him a hug. And every time I talk to him, I'm going to tell him I love him. I'm not going to miss a single opportunity. And when he died three years ago, I was left with an overwhelming peace that I did everything I could to cherish every moment and every conversation. God leads the way on this. He leads the way by reaching out to us no matter what we've done and the ways that we've led our own lives and been stubborn and dug our heels in and he shows us grace over and over again and unending faithfulness. And may we take what he has sown in our spirits and sow that with those around us so that we reap a legacy of love and connection. Let's worship the God that is always faithful to us and recommit ourselves to loving each other. That story reminds us what's at stake. The difference between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Christ that's offered to us. So set your alarms and say your prayers this week. And let's let the revenge mindset end with us and in us and be replaced by the love of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I pray this day you would help us. We need the power of your spirit, Lord, to turn these people who have hurt us and done us wrong and keep doing it over to you. May you deal with them justly and fairly. And may we be free of our need to see them hurt. Lord, set us free to to walk in grace and love. We want to be citizens of your kingdom and part of spreading this kingdom around the world. The world needs it now more than ever. We give you thanks for your promises, Lord. Help us remember to pray this week and for the months to come. In Jesus' name, amen.